the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today, and if you remember, um, we're kind of we're kind of going from the resurrection to Pentecost. This is kind of our journey. <clears throat> and last week we we looked at the end of John's Gospel, and we looked at the account of Jesus, specifically um, his encounter with Peter, in in Jesus reaffirming and assuring Peter and Peter's calling. And this, if you, if you will, this test of love that, that, that Jesus gave Peter. And today we're going to look uh, more specifically at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to kind of begin here today. And... Last week, as we looked at this account in John 21, we saw some interesting things. Uh, namely, um, we saw that at, at the beginning, when they're out in the boat, those seven disciples did not recognize Jesus on the seashore. And there's actually several accounts of this. In, in uh, Luke 24, verse 16, while you're there, it says speaking of the two disciples who were traveling on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 16 says, But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 12, Mark says this. He says, When he appeared to those disciples on that road, he appeared to them in another form. And so it was not the Jesus they were used to seeing, or it wasn't the Jesus that they had fixed in their mind. John 20, 14, it gives the account of Mary Magdalene at the tomb, and Mary is at the tomb seeking the body of Jesus, and she encounters what she thinks is a gardener, who she thinks is a gardener, and then she has a conversation with this gardener, but it's not until Jesus calls her name and he says, Mary... And when Jesus calls her name, she realizes that it's Jesus. And in John 20, immediately after that, this is when Mary, they run back and they tell the disciples, he has risen. And then Jesus appears to the eleven, and the scripture says that, that he says, peace to them. They're all startled, they're all, we read this in several accounts. But when Jesus shows them the scars in his body, it says, then they were glad. And so what we see is that after the resurrection, it was not according to the flesh that the disciples were able to recognize Jesus. In fact, the only thing that we know for sure in his physical appearance that was recognizable, that, that was familiar to them, were the scars in his hands, in his feet, and in his side. And so the only physical feature that identified him were the scars that came from the work of the cross. Which is a very powerful truth. It's a very powerful truth for us today. So before his ascension, Jesus made himself known to his disciples by his word and by his work. 
when he's there on that seashore, it was when he said, cast your nets on the right side, that all of a sudden they realized it was Jesus. And Jesus called to their remembrance that time three and a half years earlier when he was in Peter's boat and he says, cast your nets. And John says, Peter, it's the Lord. And we see in, in, Matthew tw- in Luke 24 when he's with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. It was when he spoke the blessing and broke the bread that their eyes were open, recalling Recalling that time when he fed the multitudes and he broke the bread and he multiplied it. He blessed it before the Father. Broke it and multiplied it. And all the times that they must have been with him when he did that. And they realized their eyes were open. And they knew that it was the Lord. When he called Mary's name. Her eyes were open. She realized it was the Lord. Church, until he calls your name. You cannot, you will not see him. But when he calls your name, listen church, when he calls your name, if you are looking for a Jesus that you have created in your mind, if you have an image of Jesus in your mind, if Jesus has to look like what you think he looks like, if Jesus has to be who you think he is, if Jesus has to do what you think he has to do and act the way you think he has to act, you have formed an image of Jesus, and I'm telling you what, he will not appear to you that way because it is a false image. So here is what Jesus is teaching. Now Jesus is preparing his disciples because he is in between the resurrection and the ascension. And Jesus knows that he is only here temporarily. He was only here 40 days after his resurrection. But you see what Jesus is doing right here with his disciples is exactly what the ministry of the Holy Spirit will do when it comes. He called to their remembrance his words. He called to their remembrance and he revealed to them his works. Jesus knew that he would not be with them physically to walk and hold their hands and tell them what they needed to know and show them what they needed to see. And he was preparing them, don't count, don't depend on your natural sight, don't depend on these natural minds, don't depend on the natural imagination that you have created in your mind to find me, to see me, to know me. It must be by faith, it must be by the Spirit. It can't be determined by your eyes and your imagination. It must be in spirit and in truth that you will see me and that you will know me. And so Christ was revealed to them through his words. He called to their remembrance his words. He opened their understanding. Luke 24, read with me from verse 44. It says, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now Jesus did that with them. He did it with these disciples. Jesus is not with us anymore to do that in physical form, but he is with us. More than being with us, he lives in us. And it was not until Jesus opened their understanding that they were able to see the reality and the truth that the word was declaring concerning him. 
And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he says to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So he opened their understanding of the scriptures. He was revealed to them through his work. He called to their remembrance that time when they cast their nets the first time. He called to their remembrance that time when he blessed and he broke the bread and fed the multitudes. Jesus said to his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. We're going to look at this in just a moment. He did things that called to their remembrance the works that he had done among them. And most importantly, the most important work Jesus did. He still bore the scars of the work on the cross. Now the body of Jesus, the face of Jesus, may not have looked the same after the resurrection than before the resurrection. But there was something about that body, there was something about a work that he had done on the cross that is absolutely eternal. And I believe Jesus through all eternity will bear the scars that the work of the cross did. Because the work of the cross is not a historical event, it's not a one-time event, it is an eternal event. And the work of the cross is an eternal work. And Jesus still reveals to us the eternal work that the cross has accomplished. That's why they were able to see him, to know him. After his ascension, Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to empower men with his life to become witnesses to them. And this is what Jesus was preparing them for. It wasn't going to be based on their carnal sight. It wasn't going to be based on their carnal knowledge. It was going to be by His Spirit. This is what the Spirit of the Lord said to the prophet when they were rebuilding the city after the captivity. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Jesus made a promise. He said, I will build my church And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it will not be, church, by power or by might that the church shall be built. It will be by His Spirit, thus says the Lord of hosts. And so Jesus makes a promise. Now let's continue reading in Luke 24. So He says in verse 46, Thus He said to them, It is written, And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? It's the Holy Spirit. Keep your place there. Let's turn very quickly. I just want to read one Old Testament scripture to you. It's Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods On the dry ground, I will pour my spirit on your descendants. I will pour 
my spirit on your descendants. Jesus said this in the, in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. What is the righteousness that we shall be filled with? It's not a righteousness that we perform because we have no righteousness. The only righteousness that we can ever possibly possess is Christ who is our righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for a righteousness that you cannot give yourself, that you cannot find yourself, that you cannot fill yourself with. Because I will fill you. I will satisfy your thirst and your hunger. How? Because I will pour upon your thirsty land. I will pour upon your dry land. I will pour out my spirit upon you. We have become the righteousness of God. Where? In Christ. Who is our righteousness. And so Jesus said, go and wait for the promise of the Father. When Peter comes down from the upper room and he preaches his sermon, his first sermon that he's ever preached, he comes down in power, in boldness, quite a different individual than we saw prior to that outpouring. And he says at the end of his sermon, the men that are standing there cry out, what must we do then to be saved? And he said, be baptized. Repent of your sins, be baptized for the remission of your sins, and God will give you, what? The Holy Ghost. We can't get saved without it. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have salvation. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have righteousness. Because the righteousness that God will fill us with. The water, it's no accident that the Spirit, throughout the Scripture, is related to water, to oil. It will satisfy our dryness. He will fill us with righteousness. And so Jesus says, go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father until you are endued with power from on high. Now let's turn over to John's gospel. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, 15, and 16, these three chapters, Jesus gives his most detailed discourse on the coming of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 11, there's a, re- a record of this. When Jesus teaches his, they said, teach us to pray, Lord, and he, he gives them what, what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes on and he talks about you fathers being, being evil know how to give good gifts. How much more your heavenly Father... How much more will he give you what? The Holy Spirit if you ask. Jesus could have just as easily said, how much more will he give you salvation if you ask? Those that call upon the name of the Lord. Those who ask in faith. What? They shall be saved. They shall be filled with righteousness. Without that, we have no life. We have no salvation. We don't. So here in John 14, and what I'm going to do, I'm just going to very quickly go through, and and maybe you just want to take a pencil, or maybe if you have notes, you might just want to mark these scriptures. And and Jesus, by the way, this is after they have finished the Last Supper, 
And they have departed from that upper room where they had that last meal. And they are making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So this, this teaching, this conversation took place either on the way or once they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally hours, just hours before Jesus was arrested to be crucified. So in John 14, in John 14, 16, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. Another Helper. Jesus was their Helper. Right there, but he says, you need another helper. And that is the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice how Jesus describes the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit. Because this is the work of the Spirit in our lives, church. He is our helper. That he may abide with you for how long? Forever. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. When God fills you, when he puts his spirit in you, it is for how long? Forever. Thank you. John, look at verse 17. The spirit of truth. He's our helper. He is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. They can't see him because they're not looking And if they are looking, they're not looking in spirit and in truth. They're not looking for what God has provided. They're looking for what they have created in their own vain imaginations. They can't see him. They can't know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is talking to them. I'm telling you what, he dwells with you. How did the Holy Spirit dwell with those disciples right then? Because Jesus was there. And Jesus had the Spirit. But Jesus said, He's not going to just dwell with you. If I don't go away, he, he can't be in you. He dwells with you now, but He will, future tenth, He will be where? In you. Verse 26, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He's our teacher. He will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Why were those disciples able to come out of that upper room with such power and such boldness? Because this is what the Holy Spirit has done. I'm going to remind you right now, and I'm going to remind you again later, That same spirit that Peter received on the day of Pentecost, that those 120 received in that upper room, the same spirit that you have right now if you are born again. Whether you believe that, whether you live like it, whether you have the revelation of it or not, that spirit is in you. And this is why the church must get the revelation of The reality and the fullness and the power of the spirit that dwells within her. And there was a holy hush in the house of God. So he's the helper. He's the spirit of truth. He's going to teach us all things. He's going to bring to our remembrance. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Who is our peace, church? Not peace like the world gives, Jesus says. You can't go 
read a book and find out how to become more peaceful. Do you know that? Peace is a fruit. How do we know? Because that's what the Bible says. A fruit of what? A fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to leave peace with you. I'm going to deposit my Spirit in you, and He will be your peace. And the fruit, the fruit of that Spirit will produce what? Not only peace, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self, those are fruits. Those aren't things we, we can work up. Those aren't things we go and buy at a bookstore and then add to our life. That'd be like going to H-E-B and buy apples and, and, and gluing them to our tree and saying it's an apple tree. Doesn't work that way. It comes from the inside out. It comes from the reality and the life of the Holy Ghost that's in us. Peace I leave with you. Then we come to John chapter 15. The famous chapter. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And you are the branches. And that whole discourse, you know what it's about? It's about the Holy Ghost. You might not think so. But what Jesus is saying is if you abide in me. If your dwelling place is in me. Then my life My spirit will flow through you just like sap through the vine into the branches and it will produce what? Fruit. The Holy Ghost. He is the fruit producer. That whole chapter is about the spirit abiding in them and causing them to become fruitful. And what is the result of that fruitfulness? Jesus said, my father in heaven shall be glorified. Because of your fruit. See, Jesus doesn't want us to be fruitful just so we can have happy, successful, prosperous lives. He's not against that. But that's not what we should be seeking. We should be seeking the glory of the Father. And how is the Father glorified? By the fruit of the Spirit. By the fruit that the Spirit in us manifests and produce, then all men will know that we are His disciples. They will know that God the Father indeed sent the Son, Jesus Christ. How will they know it? By the love. By the fruit we display to one another. That the world could come and they could partake of the fruit that is manifest on the tree that God has caused to grow. He is the fruit producer. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. You see how he is emphasizing over and over what the Spirit is going to do. He will testify of me. See, the Spirit will never testify of me. He will testify of Christ. That's why Jesus told him, he said, don't get all bent out of shape and don't don't worry about what you're going to say when you're brought before magistrates, when they question you. I'll give you the words. In other words, the spirit in you at that time will testify of me. Just, Just let him, just let him manifest through you. Go to, verse, go to chapter 16. 
chapter 16. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Now I want you just to think for a moment. If you were one of those disciples, if you were one of those 11, and you've spent three and a half years with Jesus, walking with Him, living with Him, seeing Him do the miracles, hearing Him impart into you the truth of the Scripture, of the Word of God, reveal Himself to you, and you have now become convinced that He is indeed your Messiah, and now He is telling you, Guys, I'm leaving. Why do you mean you're leaving? Can you imagine how they felt? And he not only is, he says, but, but it's good that I'm leaving. It's to your advantage that I'm leaving. They didn't believe him. They did not believe him. How do we know? We see it, the result of it after the resurrection. I mean, after his death. They were in despair. They were despondent. They, they didn't know what to do. But yet he told them before I mean, this is hours. This is just, just literally moments before he's going to be arrested. And he's telling them, it's to your advantage that I go away. And they said, Jesus, how can that be? And he reaffirms it again right here in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I'm not lying to you guys. I'm telling you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Now in John 20, 22, there is an instance when Jesus appears to them. He just supernaturally, poof, He's in the room. And He says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And He blows on them. They did not receive the Holy Spirit at that time. Jesus was graphically, he was just giving, he was telling them, this is what's going to happen. The promise of the Father is coming. How do we know they did not receive the Holy Spirit at that time? Because Jesus very clearly tells us in, in this discourse, the Spirit cannot come to you, it will not come to you until I have gone to the Father and I will send it from the Father. And he's telling them there in John 20, 22, he's, he's just flat out, Telling them what's going to happen. This is causing them to remember this teaching before his crucifixion. He said, guys, don't you remember what I taught you the night I was arrested? The Spirit is coming. Why are you fearful? Why are you doubting? You need to be ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And he commands them to receive it. So here he is, and he says, it's to your advantage. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. Verse 8, John 16, 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now I want to take just a moment here, and I want to talk about this very important ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice something. He will convict the world of sin. There's two things you need to know that's, that's easy to miss right there. The one is, he will convict who? The world. If you're born again today, are you of the world? You're in the world, but you're not of the world. The second is this, he will convict you of sin, singular, not sins, plural. 
And then he defines, Jesus defines very clearly what the sin is that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of. It is of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, he will convict the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. He will convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. What does he do in the life of the believer? He leads us, he guides us. How? Where? David said it like this in Psalm 23. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's where the Holy Spirit leads the believer. What else does he do with the believer? He teaches He brings to remembrance, he guides, he testifies, he declares, he tells, he speaks. That's what he does in the life of the believer. Because the believer, by definition, doesn't fall into this category of sin right here. Because we are believers. So he's not convicting us of sin because... We have been delivered from sin. How? By the precious blood of the Lamb. There is one sin that remains that is unforgivable. You know what that sin is? It is the rejection of Jesus Christ. Now here's the problem. And here's why the church, here's why believers need to understand the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of sin. Because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit in you will convict the world of sin. The problem is, the church oftentimes is doing what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. Do you know what happens when we, the church, try to convict men of their sin? It's not conviction, it's condemnation. You know why the world doesn't want to have anything to do with the church? Because all they see in the church is a bunch of judgment and condemnation. Listen, John 3.19, I think that's correct. Let Let me make sure that I'm correct here. I think that's correct. Yes, it is. John 3, 18 and 19. If Jesus isn't going to condemn the world, then why should we? Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And Jesus said, the reason I didn't come to condemn the world is because the world is already condemned. If you're in the world, if you're not of Christ, if you don't have faith in Christ, if you haven't been born again, you're already in sin, you're already condemned. We're not waiting to see, despite what some churches teach, that you're born without sin and and, and it's only until you commit your first sin that you become a sinner. That's not what the Bible teaches. You are born in sin You were born with a sin nature. You were already condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn you because he didn't have to. You you fell condemned when Adam fell. You were born in condemnation. He came to save you. And so it's not the job of the church to to convict sinners. It's the job of the church to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit in us, that will convict them. It will convict them of their unbelief in Jesus Christ. There are certain sins we just love to to convict the world of. We love to point out. 
I mean, we can talk about homosexuality. We can talk about um, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, adultery. You know, there's some we give a pass to because, well, you know, there's some, they're, they're just more socially acceptable. I mean, we're not out there holding banners against adulterers, but, but somehow we think homosexuality is like extra bad. It's all sin. Do you understand that? It's all sin. It's all an abomination to God. And do you know why it's sin? Because it's rooted in unbelief. Their sin is not their homosexuality. It's not their thievery. It's Jesus, listen, the scripture said, Paul says homosexuals, thieves, uh, gossipers, backbiters, uh, murderers, they won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know why? Because if you're any of those or all of those, you know why you're one of those? Because you're not a believer. It's not your actions that will condemn you. It is your lack of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you come to faith in Christ, you know what happens? That old nature that is condemned already, it dies, it is passed away. You become a new creation. God pours the life of His Son by His Spirit in you. You are filled with righteousness. And if you have been filled with righteousness, if you live in the Spirit, then Paul says walk in it. In other words, if it's in you, let it come out of you. And if you call yourself an apple tree, but there's nothing but thorns and thistles on you, then you better think again, and maybe you need to make sure you've been labeled correctly. Because your church membership, your much church attendance, your confession out of your mouth doesn't mean anything if it's not from your heart. Confession is made to salvation, but, listen, salvation comes from the heart that trusts And the heart that trusts is the heart that's filled with the spirit of righteousness. So it's not our job to convict the world of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin. All we do is bring condemnation. And then nobody wants to have anything to do with us. You don't think they already know they've got a problem? Uh, They do. Whether they want to admit it or not, I promise you they do. Because they have the same fallen nature we all had. Doesn't matter what their sin happens to be, what their sinful behavior happens to be. They have the fallen nature that has the knowledge of good and evil. They know what good and evil is. And if they've hardened their hearts and been deceived to the point where it doesn't matter anymore, then that's still God's business, not ours. So we do what? We we become trees of righteousness demonstrating the fruit of God's spirit. And that spirit in us will convict the world of their unbelief in Jesus. It will. Because see, when we live our lives like that, we're not drawing attention to ourselves. We are pointing to the glory of the Father. And and the more the Father is glorified through us, the more the convicting power of the Spirit can work in the hearts of men who do not believe. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict of righteousness. Why is he convicting the world of righteousness? Not so that they can behave righteously. Righteousness is not a behavior. Righteousness is a way. He is convicting them not only of their unbelief, but he is convicting them that there is a way to righteousness, and that way is Jesus. The conviction of sin says this is where you need to get to. The conviction of righteousness says this is the way that you get there. You don't get there by Buddha. You don't get there by Krishna. You don't get there by 12 steps. You get there through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the way of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit points to Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he convicts the world of judgment. 
Remember I said a few weeks ago, there are no gray areas. It's black or white. Jesus said it this way, you're either for me or you're against me. Are you hearing me, church? You're either in life or you're in death. There is no in-between. There's no purgatory. There's no limbo. That doesn't exist. You're either alive or dead. You're either with Christ or you're against Christ. Jesus said this way, you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. He looked at the Pharisees and said, you are of your father, the devil. Now, he convicts the world of judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. What in the heck does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. The ruler of this world who is the devil, his rule has been overthrown, I believe. But at that time, he was the ruler of this world. Now, he's still out roaming around. But I'm telling you what, Jesus has all authority, period. And so what has the ruler of the world been reduced to? What has, what has been pronounced on the devil? His, you know what his inheritance is? It is the lake that burns with fire. And if we are either children of God or children of the devil, if you are a child of the devil, that means if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not been born again, this isn't an ugly thing, this isn't a a mean thing, a negative, it's just the truth. If you haven't been born again, you're a child of the devil. And your inheritance is the inheritance that your father has to offer you. And the inheritance that the father, the devil, has to offer his children is a lake that burns with fire. It's judgment. But if we have been born again and we are children of God by faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, our inheritance is not judgment in a lake of fire. Our inheritance is every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Our inheritance is the inheritance of God the Father. And so the Holy Ghost is convicting the world of judgment because if they remain children of the devil, that is going to be their inheritance. This is is the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Only the Holy Spirit can convict. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal the way of righteousness. Only the Holy Spirit can deliver one from judgment. John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he'll speak, and he will tell you things to come. Praise God. He'll guide, he'll speak, he'll tell you things to come. Verse 14, he will glorify Christ. He will declare to you what is mine, Jesus said. He'll declare to you the things that are Christ's. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's what I'm talking about, church. That is the spirit that lives on the inside of you. And Jesus is telling these disciples, you cannot live and walk in faith based on a vain imagination you have developed in your mind of who I am or what the law declares or what your knowledge of good and evil It's got to be in spirit and in truth. And the church today is still looking for a Jesus that she has created in her mind. And the reason she can't see the Jesus of truth, the Jesus of reality, is because we're still looking for an image of Jesus that doesn't exist. 
we're still looking to have Old Testament experiences when we've already come into a new covenant reality. There's churches that would love to see this building. People, Christians, who would love to see I mean, if this building just filled up with smoke right now, we'd become ecstatic that the presence of God is here because the building filled with smoke. Lightning struck the altar. Angels were flying everywhere. I saw them. We'd say, oh my God. Why are we looking for Old Testament experiences when we live in a new covenant reality? Why are we still hunting shadows when we have the substance that is in us, church? The same, listen to me, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in you. It's in you right now. It's in you right now. He didn't give you part of the spirit. He's not waiting for you to earn the rest of it. There is no second experience. I just probably don't stone me. If you hang with me over the next few weeks, I'll I'll teach you what the scripture teaches concerning this. And And the scripture reveals very clearly why there appeared to be a second experience. There's only one filling. When you get saved, you receive the fullness who is Christ. That's it. That's it. Now whether you have that revelation of that fullness, I don't know. But the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that will empower you to be a witness. That will empower you to stretch forth your hand, who is really the hand of Jesus, to heal the sick. To heal the lame. To raise the dead. If that's what God wills. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. His power hasn't diminished. Because we're 2,000 years on the other side of Pentecost. Now it's the same spirit. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem is we don't have the revelation that we truly have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling on the inside of us. And here, this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is why he said, greater work shall you do. Because I go to my Father. Because when I go to my Father, I'm going to send the Spirit of God. And he's not going to be with you like I am. He's not going to walk side by side and take you by the hand. Honey, he's going to come and he is going to fill you and live on the inside of you. And you will become the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you what, the temple is filled with his glory right now. If you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that glory cloud in you is so thick, you, you, wouldn't even, you couldn't even begin to imagine We need a revelation of this, church. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Go back to John 14. John 14, chapter 1. I mean, verse 1. Jesus says, this is the beginning of this discourse. They just come out of the upper room, and this is how Jesus begins his discourse on the Holy Ghost. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, I'm going to step on some more toes right here. But please, can we dispel the myths of Christianity right now? You don't have some log cabin or some plantation house in heaven waiting for you to live in. Jesus is not talking about some house in glory that you're going to live in. 
God's going to give me a spread of 5,000 acres, and I'm going to have a 30,000 square foot home I'm going to live in. Praise God. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Do you really want that? Is, that? is that really what we want in heaven? Do we really want something so temporal, so carnal? Don't you think that heaven is going to be so much greater than any kind of structure you could imagine that you could build on this earth? That's not the dwelling place Jesus is talking about. In my Father's house, what's the Father's house? The Father's house is the temple. And what was the temple? It was a picture of something. It was a type and a shadow of the house that God would build. It wasn't a house built with hands. It wasn't made of earth or stone or wood. It was a house formed and created by God himself. In the book of Revelation, what does it say? In the new heaven and the new earth, there is no temple. Why? For the lamb. The lamb is the temple. You want to live in a log cabin? I don't care how big it is. You go ahead. I'm going to live in Jesus. Because it's better than any house you could ever have. In my father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. This is the same word. It's from the same root when Jesus says in John 15, if you abide in me. It's the same word. It means the same thing. Our abode, our dwelling place is Christ. Amen? So here's what he's saying. I go... If it were not so, I would not have told you. I have a dwelling place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Go to Numbers chapter 10. Now remember, the scriptures are given to us to do what? To reveal Christ to us. In Numbers chapter 10, just a very small verse here, a seemingly insignificant account but this is in numbers chapter 10 this is the children of israel it's their second passover celebration okay it's just been completed they're two years out of egypt they are still camped at the base of mount sinai where is the base of mount sinai i mean what what was significant about sinai it's where the law was given so they're still camped at the base of mount sinai and now they're getting ready to move to go where? To the promised land. This is where they're getting ready to go. And here's what Numbers 10.33 says. It says, so they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for three days. To search out a resting place for them. Jesus Christ, the ark of God, said, boys, don't be afraid. I am going to my father's house. In his house are many dwelling places. And I go to prepare a place for you. And for three days, Jesus was in that grave. He was in that tomb. And in those three days, you know what Jesus did? He prepared a place for us. He made a way for us where there was no way. He made a resting place for us that we could not inhabit any other way except he go before us for three days. And he said, if I go to prepare a place, I will come back. That come back there in John 14, we ain't waiting for that one. That, there's a coming yet to come. But what he was talking about was his resurrection. How do we know that Jesus went before them for three days and prepared a place? Because he went into the grave, but honey, he didn't stay in the grave. 
He came out on the third day, and when he came out, he had made a way where there was no way. He had shown us, he had opened the door, he had made the highway of holiness, the way of righteousness, and he said, I am the way, walk ye there in it. That's what he did. And that was not, and that is not possible apart from the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Spirit now, this is how Jesus indwells us. This is how Jesus fills us. This is how he resides in, abides in his temple, which you are. In his house, the writer of Hebrews says, whose house we are. It's by the Holy Ghost. Jesus made a way. He went before us. That resting place is the presence of God. That resting place is Christ. Christ is our promised land. He is the place that we shall dwell in that flows with milk and honey. That's why I can say right now, I am dwelling in the promised land. I am Christ. I'm living in Christ. I dwell in Christ. There are things yet to come, but I'm not... My assurance of dwelling in the promised land, my reality of dwelling in the promised land has nothing to do with with what's coming. It has everything to do with what Christ has already done. And because of what he has done by grace, I was able to enter into through faith. And now he has caused that same spirit that raised him from the dead to dwell on the inside of us. We enter in because Christ has made it possible for us to see to know and to experience how by his spirit you can't know it you can't see it you can't experience it apart from his spirit that's why he had to go away and he poured out the holy spirit on a dry and thirsty land and all that shall all who ask in faith the father will give to them the holy ghost the way of righteousness He will fill them. Without the Holy Spirit, that is not possible. Amen. We're going to stop there today. We're going to pick up next time uh, in two weeks, and we're going to continue the study of the Holy Ghost. Right now, what I want us to do, I want us to get ready, and we're going to take communion together. And I want to ask this right now. Is there anyone here you don't know the Lord Jesus. You haven't truly been born again. See, I, this isn't a, you know, I don't ask this question just because it's what you're supposed to do at the end of the service. I mean, this is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. Has Jesus called your name? Is he calling your name right now? And if he's calling your name, are you going to respond? The Spirit of God will reveal He will reveal in truth whether you are truly born again. This isn't about getting put on a guilt trip, feeling some condemnation because you did something wrong last week or last night or no. I'm talking, have you truly been born again? Have you laid your life down and allowed God to give you a new birth? And to walk out of death and to come into the life of his son. Does the spirit of God dwell on the inside of you right now? If he does, you're born again. If he doesn't, you're not. 
So before we all come to the table of the Lord, I want to know, is there anyone here? You say, before I, before I come, I, I want to come to this table today knowing that I've been born again. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody, anybody, anybody? Let's all stand. Anyone. Because I want to pray with you. I want to give you that opportunity. Because if you're not a believer, don't come to the table of the Lord. It's not what I say. That's not the rule I made. That's just what the scripture says. Now, here's the other admonition I have for you. As you come and as you take the bread and as you take the cup, I want you to think about what Jesus made possible for you in his death on the cross. That he made it possible for that spirit of God, that spirit of righteousness, that spirit of truth, the very presence of God himself to come and indwell you. He made that possible by the work on the cross. Church, let us not be a people that have received so great a salvation, but yet, because, because we are blinded, because, because we've allowed ourselves to be distracted, that, that we are not correctly discerning the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. The reality of that spirit that lives on the inside of us. Let's become the trees of righteousness that will bear the fruits of his spirit so that the world can see and know Jesus Christ, the Savior. Amen. Let's come. Just you guys come. Let, let's come a section at a time. And just form a line there. And While you're waiting to come, I just want you to focus your heart. I want you to think about the things we've talked about, what the Word of God declares. I want you just to consider the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you and what that truly means. Just consider what it truly means. These words just keep ringing in my mind. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, if you've ever seen uh, any, any movie depicting the life of Jesus, you can't help but, but, but see that resurrection scene and think, man, what would it have been like to be there that day? I'm telling you what, you got something that's equal, if not better. You wouldn't just see a resurrected Christ. That's all you would do if you would have been there that day. But, but right now, you have a resurrected Christ living on the inside of you by His Spirit. That's why Jesus said, greater things shall you do because we have received something greater. What men have looked for, what the prophets of old looked for, what they saw by faith, you have in reality today in Jesus Christ.
think you seem so inadequate in light of what Christ has done, in light of what the Father has provided through His Son, through His Spirit. Lord, even though we can only see, Lord, I believe just a a glimpse and know in such small part what truly has transpired. Lord, what, what we can see and what we can know, God, is so overwhelming. Lord, if we'll allow the Spirit of God to open the eyes of our heart and the eyes of our understanding, what you have done is so overwhelming. Lord, it's how Paul could say these light afflictions of this earthly realm are nothing compared to the glory, to the more eternal weight of glory. Lord, we don't minimize anything that's happening in our lives or in the lives of others. But Lord, I am so thankful that our Human condition, our circumstances, Lord, have no bearing. They do not dictate. They do not define. They do not diminish the reality of who you are and what you have done. We remember this bread represents the body of our Savior. Because that body was given up and because it was broken for us, Lord, we can say today, That that spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the very spirit and the very life of God himself dwells in us. Because of this grace, Christ has provided for us, giving his body. We take this bread with thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord, for the cup that represents not only your blood and the forgiveness. Lord, it's why there's only yet one sin that remains. It is unbelief in the Son. All other sins have been washed away, taken away by the precious blood of the Lamb. And Lord, that sin of unbelief is taken away also because of the shed blood. Lord, when we by faith enter into the way, into the one who is the way, we thank you, Lord, that this cup not only represents your blood, but the covenant that you have made with us by that precious blood, a new covenant, a new and living way that we can enter into. Lord, we thank you that it's by faith, because of your grace, and because of your precious Holy Spirit, Lord. That we are brought into this way, into this covenant, which is an eternal covenant. The spirit that you've given us is a spirit that is eternal and abides in us forever. We thank you for it, Father. We take the cup, proclaiming the death. In Jesus' name. And we proclaim this, Lord, on this earth until you come again. And we thank you, Lord, that the death... And the remembrance of it, God, not only speaks of what you have done, but it speaks of what you are doing 
and what you will do for all eternity. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a good hand. Peace of the Lord go with you. Now you can't go home because we've got a carnival to go to next door. So please go next door, support the children's ministry. They have food, they have fun, they have